0: Welcome to In the Envelope, a podcast from Backstage, the one-stop shop for actors and creators both above and below the line. I am your host, Vinnie Mancuso, backstage senior editor and professional entertainment obsessive. I'll be your guide through every corner of the creative industry, with the help of some of your favorite stars. Here, you'll find intimate, in-depth talks with today's most award-worthy names in film, television, and theater. Along the way, we'll get advice on living your best creative life, relatable stories of the highest highs and lowest lows, and maybe, just maybe, a rare peak in the envelope.
1: I did have this like weird belief that I would able to be an actor just like it really does feel like the same type of belief that like one day i'll fall in love Mm -hmm. and you're like you can't imagine the person's face you know like you, you can't exactly know how you'll get there i just always felt like i'm not gonna stress myself too hard on this like i'm gonna want it really badly it's gonna i'm gonna feel it in my heart it's gonna break me it's gonna like break my heart in a way maybe it will but i'm not gonna disconnect
0: Hello everybody, welcome to another episode of In the Envelope, the Actors Podcast. I am your host, Vinnie Mancuso, and what I can offer you today is an episode of this podcast that is very, very nice. It is the audio version of a very pleasant hug, because we are, of course, joined today by comedian, author, actor, Jenny Slate. And she is here, of course, to talk about Marcel the Shell with shoes on one of the softest, most pleasant films in a long, long time. Uh, It is about a very small shell with very big feelings. It is wonderful. But because we are who we are here at Backstage, uh, we did talk about a lot more than just the movie, pleasant as it is. Uh, We talked about Jenny's whole journey. We talked about finding strength in stand up comedy. We talked about creating art for yourself. We talked about falling in love, both with acting and outside of it. We talked about a lot. Uh, It is truly, truly wonderful. So let's get right into it. Here is Jenny Slate. This podcast is, of course, brought to you by Backstage, the number one source for actors looking to get cast. That is probably you. If you're listening to In the Envelope, there's a pretty good chance you're an actor searching for your next gig. Friends, wonderful listeners, I've got some good news. Backstage is offering 30 days free just for you, our In the Envelope audience. 30 days, totally free. I'm a podcast host. I don't do math, but I do know 30 days for $0 is a pretty good deal. All you gotta do is head over to backstage.com slash subscribe and enter the code word envelope at checkout. And boom, you have access to thousands of casting notices posted and updated every day. It's all totally filterable. Are you bilingual? Can you dance? Can you juggle? There's probably a gig in there for you somewhere. Just upload a headshot, start applying, and get that dream going. A lot can happen in 30 days, trust me. But first, you gotta subscribe. Get to it. Danny Slate is one of the most versatile voices in the industry today. A veteran of the Brooklyn improv comedy scene, Slate has since tackled everything from blockbuster comic book movies to poignant dramedies to scene stealing sitcom characters, all while balancing a series of voice acting performances in projects like Bob's Burgers, Zootopia, and the Lego Batman movie. Recently, her voiceover talents led her to Marcel the Shell with Shoes On, the feature length take on the famously heartwarming stop motion short that Slate and co creator Dean Fleischer Camp first dropped on YouTube in 2010. Here is the great Jenny Slate. Hello, Jenny. How's it going? Uh, thank you so Hi. much for being here.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Of course, of course. I'm so happy to have you here. And I'm so happy to have you here talking specifically about Marcel the Shell, a movie I saw last night and made me weep uncontrollably for all 90 minutes of the film. Uh, It's just a beautiful, beautiful little film.
1: Thank you for saying that. I'm sorry that you wept, but I hope it felt good.
0: No, it was like a very, very cathartic. It was like a nice, like a, like a nice hug, you know, like the way I been describing. Like people like, oh, what's the movie like? I'm like, it's like sitting in a nice chair, you know, like a nice, nice, comfortable chair for ninety minutes, and just being able to feel everything.
1: Yeah, I, I feel like that. It can be on the verge of like. You know, at the end of Goodwill Hunting, when Robin Williams hugs Matt Damon and I forget what he says to him, but it's sort of a bit darker. It's something like it's it's not, it's your, not fault. your fault. I
0: think it isn't. It's not your fault. Yeah,
1: he says it's not your fault. So that's not really what our movie is about. But, you know, when like Matt Damon just has that big cry and it just feels so good to even watch it and, you know, it means something. I, you know, I hope this is like a happier, lighter version of, of that, because that, again, is very dark
0: yeah it's like the movie's not telling me it's not my fault it's just telling me like you're okay
1: you're okay you're here it it means a lot it means a lot that you're here
0: absolutely so by nature of who we are because we are backstage we, we we love the entire journey uh so i do i can't wait to talk about marcel but i also want to talk about the entire road that led to marcel and that includes the very beginning do you yourself have what you consider a sort of actor performer origin story, something you, you remember some performance you saw something where you thought, Oh, that is, that is absolutely something I would like to do.
1: Um, maybe not one that sticks out, but I mean, I, it was sort of like every time I would see actors, I would know that I was supposed to be doing that, that I, or not that I was supposed to be, I don't think there's, there's never been that sort of, I don't, you know, feel entitled to what I do at all. I just feel a deep desire for it. And I think I mean, the first thing I can remember, like, wanting to be a part of, I guess, was Sesame Street. But as an adult, like, I wanted to be like Maria and Susan. And I wanted to be like that. And then seeing Pee Wee on, on, you know, Pee Wee's Playhouse, I really related to him. And I felt like I would be a person that would have a lot of fun being one of the performers on the show. And, And then there were other things. Like, I loved... Judy Garland like so many so many performers love Judy Garland and you know because she was you could just see how she came from vaudeville you could see her training and her work ethic and how she had grown up in the, in the business and um she just was a Hollywood original and and I love Meet Me in St. Louis growing up and that still is one of my favorite movies but I just watched that movie over and over and over and over and over again and and also The Wizard of Oz and I was sort of unable to separate the journey that Dorothy goes on in The Wizard of Oz from what I thought it meant to be an actor like that it would take some sort of magic and that you would be yourself, but like in a dimension that you knew existed, but you didn't know how to get to, and that you would have to like believe in a lot of unbelievable or hard to believe things, improbable Mm. things in order to get there. But also like, you know, like I loved um, Carol Burnett in Annie. Mm -hmm. I always felt like that performance had so many layers to it. And as a child, I was really frightened by it. And I also just, I like, I loved it. And I loved Madeline Kahn and Clue. I remember as a little girl, like really loving that. And then my parents realizing that I loved her and showing me her other work. Yeah, there, there was a lot, but also like, you know, Tom Cruise, like watching Tom Cruise and like Risky Business, you know, I just loved it. I just, I, I do think that like, I was drawn to our movie stars, not because I thought they were famous and rich, but because they they do have charisma. Like Tom Cruise has only what Tom Cruise can have. And like same for Michelle Pfeiffer and for Whoopi Goldberg, especially Whoopi Goldberg in Ghost, you know, like I just wanted to be where they were so badly, mm-hmm. like heartache, heartache. I wanted to be where they were.
0: I kind of love how it's just, you know, a hodgepodge of 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 wanting to be. <laughs> where the, where those people are, and I, I it, it kind of reminds me. You have this, this really lovely line in your your book of, of essays. Um, I think it's in the introduction where you say, "Uh, we both know quite well that it is ri- risky to reveal oneself, but I am compelled to do it." Um, is is that sort of that compulsion to perform? Is that how much of that is is drives you since the beginning, and how much of that still drives you through through each project?
1: Oh, I think it's always been my yeah, it's been the wind in my sails, you know, to, to, to use that expression. I think it's because you can say like it drives you, you know, and it, it sort of means like you can't control it or you don't know where it comes from. But at, at this point, like, I really do think that it is like it, it comes from like that one little bit of yourself that you just can't control. Like it's not nature or nurture, or I guess it's nature, but like somewhere in between it's like, you know, if you believe in having a spirit or a soul, it's maybe in there. And I just know what it is now. I, I think of it as part of, of myself. And so now I sort of try to like respectfully serve it because, yeah, I, I do think I'm one of these people who wants to be acting like until I'm very, very old. I don't want to be like an actor that like retires from, I don't understand retiring from acting for myself. That seems Mm -hmm. like it would be like retiring from having a meal or retiring from, you know, being able to go swimming or something.
0: I love that, that you sort of acknowledge the, the risk involved. Cause it is, I, I, you know, I talk to, because of this, I talk to a lot of actors and and one of the, the most interesting through lines I find is their, their sense of having a bit of stage fright or having a bit of trepidation before each performance. And I'm wondering how you see the, the correlation between, you know, having that compulsion to perform, but also there's a part of you that is tentative about it, part of you, but it, it, it's the same part of you that needs to fulfill that compulsion.
1: I think it's just wanting it really badly, you know, really, really wanting to be accepted. I think when you admit to the force of that feeling and to the size of it, you, of course, you know, summon its, um, its opposite, which is mm-hmm. like failure and not acceptance. You know what I mean?
0: Mm -hmm. When did it become clear to you that 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 was going to be what you did? I I know that's a very general question. I know it's a very uh, overarching. I look at your life, but I I feel like there's always the people who want to be actors, people who want to perform and the people who do perform and and need to perform. When did you did you sort of decide, Okay, this is what I'm going to do?
1: It's so funny, but I just can't remember a time when I didn't want to be an actor. I Mm -hmm. always did. I always did. I think, you know, when I graduated from college, I had to say, well, how am I going to do this? Mm -hmm. And I had a lot of doubt and it was so, you know, it really, really felt like looking up into the sky and making a wish. I did not know how to begin. And I had sort of taken acting classes here and there and none of them like really seemed like they were putting me on a path, you Mm -hmm. know, but I did have this like weird belief that I would be able to be an actor, just like it really does feel like the same type of belief that like one day I'll fall in love. Mm -hmm. And you're like, you can't imagine the person's face. You, you know, like you, you can't exactly know how you'll get there, but you, you, you really know like that you're, there's a possibility that, that there's an option for it. It's just like, I just always felt like I'm not going to stress myself too hard on this. Like I'm going to want it really badly. It's going to, I'm going to feel it in my heart. It's going to break me. It's going to like break my heart in a way maybe it will, but I'm not going to disconnect. And what that looked like for me was like, I did as much acting as I could reasonably do without being a professional when I was a child, because my parents wouldn't let me. So like, all the plays in school and all the plays at camp. And I also did speech team at my school. And um, when I went to college, I, you know, did plays. I did the improv group. I did this thing at Columbia that they had called the varsity show, which was like an improvised, it was a musical that was based off of weeks of improv. And then like writers would write the musical based off of it. And then when I, when I graduated from Columbia, I started doing stand up because that was like, it was like the only way I could feel powerful. I couldn't mm-hmm. figure out any other way. I just couldn't figure it out. I, I couldn't delineate myself from other people in like huge auditions where there would be like a billion people in the room. I, that's, I didn't thrive at all. Doing standup was how I decided to try to become an actor. And like a lot of that really is just like being visible, having literally anyone be like, I am aware of this person who exists mm-hmm. <laughs> and like. At that time, there already there were people circulating in the comedy shows, of course, like trying to find comedians to do comedic acting work. I was aware of that, but mostly I just wanted to be in a community. I think that's like that can be the hardest part for actors who are starting out is like they just don't know who to be with socially. Mm
0: -hmm. And sort of, how did the idea of because I I don't get the sense that you know specifically voice acting was the goal, but was it an interest for you or did did how did that get folded into this kind of journey of, of discovering your place as an actor when did you start of start playing around with voices and 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 thinking of that as a as an extension of you as an artist
1: as a kid i always did lots of voices and i thought people who did voices were really funny and i loved snl and i loved like steve martin and i loved comedians that could play characters. Like I just thought Martin Short and still think Martin Short is like the funniest person ever. And I, I always would do that, you know, to make people laugh, do different voices and prank call my grandfather. He always loved it when I would um, do different voices and call him up and he would humor me. And I really, really loved that. And then it was a way that I really felt successful and powerful. And like I was doing something on purpose from the start, you know, like at camp doing skits and doing voices, I I did feel kind of like I can do it, you know, like I felt pretty dexterous. And then, and I also knew it was something you had to do if you wanted to be on SNL. And I always wanted to be on SNL. So I sort of, and I look back on it now and I'm like, Oh, I was like, I was like telling myself I was training myself. I was, I was like priming myself for if I ever even get the chance, you know, just, acting as if I really was doing that. And then, you know, I, at my first voiceover job, I was surprised that I got it. I believe it was the the movie, the Lorax. Mm -hmm. Um, It was offered to me. I didn't like audition for it. And it was after my first year on SNL. And um, yeah, I just, uh, I I was shocked that I got that part. And I really made a meal out of it. I've got to say, I really liked it. And um, I liked all the people I worked with, the people at Illumination, Um, you know, I, I, I just liked it a lot. But I always thought it was something that you only got to do if you were like really, 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 really successful. So I was shocked to be able to be doing it like kind of in the first real year of my career beginning. And then, you know, once I realized how much I liked it, I just kept asking my agents, you know, to find opportunities for me. And I was I've been really, really fortunate in that way.
0: It's interesting that you, you sort of weren't expecting to get that Lorax role. Were, were you also sort of learning the process while doing the process? Was that it was a, what is was it a sort of, you know, learning as you go scenario at that point?
1: I think it's not a very difficult process to learn. Like you literally mm-hmm. do what you think people do, you know, either like if you, if you're getting in there and they already have what they call the lip flap, like they already have the mouth moving, you, you try to match that. But a lot of times you're seeing an animatic you're, you're not seeing much or you're seeing something that's like basically complete and you just sort of impose yourself onto that. And I, I, I just thought it was so cool. Like that actually is my answer is that I thought the booth was so cool. I thought the headphones were cool. I like the way my voice sounded when I said it was spoken to the microphone. I like that there were snacks at the studio. I liked watching the engineers press all the buttons. You know, I've always loved, also, the like more than anything, like the inside of the filmmaking process, whether or not that's an animated film or um, a live action film. Like, I just think it's such a privilege to be on a set. It's so cool how people like always say the same things. Like, even when you go to the bathroom and they say she's 10 1. <laughs> I, I like love it. I love being included. Nothing makes me feel better than being included. And I love that there's a tradition for you know, how a set is run. I, I also love that within that tradition, some of the things have been discarded, like the tradition of abusive old male bosses. I like yes. that is something that we're saying is not something that we need anymore. But, um, you know, in terms of like the way they say, we'd like to invite you to set, like it feels so fancy and the way that like the trailers are and the way that you can be when you come into the hair and makeup trailer, when you get in there and it's like really early and everyone's starting their day and it's like, you know, that you are part of what a vibe will be. And that like, if you're kind, it like really makes a difference. I, I just like, like that whole thing. I like, I just like, love it.
0: I, I love talking to actors who, you know, it, it there, there's all kinds of answers, but I think one of my favorite, is just like, it's really cool. It's, it's really cool to be on a movie set. I think thinking that the entire circus of it all is is cool is, I don't know. That's just as, as good as, as, as giving, you know, uh, talking about, you know, the the craft and the process and getting very serious about it. It, it It's very cool. And I, I kind of just love whenever I hear the enthusiasm for something like that.
1: Oh my gosh. I mean, it's, it's my true love, you mm-hmm. know, other than my husband and my baby, like it is, this is actually one of the weirdest times in my life ever, because like, for me, it was always like acting is my true love. And then hopefully like I can, I can fall in love also with a human <laughs> and then You know, and then like also just had so many upsets in my own personal life. And then when I met my husband, Ben, and I was like, oh, my God, I've never loved a person in this way where I feel I just feel so equally met by their love. Like I always felt like when I would get an acting job and I would be on a set that the set felt like a living organism that loved me as much as I loved it. And I felt harmony and I felt at peace to be there. And then, and now it's like the first time, especially having my daughter where I'm like, Whoa, you know, it's made me be actually weirdly more relaxed about like my own career or whatever, or the progress of it, or whether or not I'll be able to keep going. Cause I think that's always, I don't know, maybe some really, really, really famous actors or successful actors don't wonder, you know, will I get another job? But I, I always teeter totter on this thing that's like, of course I'll get another job, but will I, you know, like I'm not exactly sure. And I still experience a lot of rejection, you know, like I'm not out of that. I, I hope I never get out of that actually. Like I have enough wins, meaning like I've gotten the part enough times that I feel like I'll get more parts, but I get enough rejection that I still feel the, the probability, you know, like the, the energy of, of probability and the, the cool, scary propulsion that is hope.
0: <laughs> that's, that's, that's so interesting to hear because it's, you know, I, I always, I, I always wonder that about, you know, the, the sort of acting as career that, that, that weird in between period where I, I have to assume, you know, you're coming off the high of the job and then there's that sort of pivot into what's the next job, what comes next. And I, I've always wondered, you know, about navigating that at at any stage of, of success from, you know, when you're booking your first job or when you've booked years of jobs, but you're still kind of like, okay, but what, what's the next thing?
1: Yeah. It's a real wave form for me. And also, I mean, it's like, like, I, it depends on what your goal is. Like, I want to, you know, I want to make my career, like, I want to be able to be a person that earns, you know, a living. I want to be able to like renovate my kitchen, for example. And like, actually have my life and stuff like pay for my childcare, things like that. Of course, I want that. But like, am I interested in, um, you know, having everybody in the world know my name? Absolutely not. So that that helps a lot. Like if you I think when I was younger, I was like, I just want to be recognized. Like I just you know, I want I want to be recognized for what I think I have. And now I'm I don't feel that way. I don't have that ambition in that same way. And now I'm just like, you know, I really want to be involved with creators who are just so inventive and who are kind and who are going to make something beautiful or terrifying or beautiful and terrifying or, you know, beautiful and hilarious. And I just I I have a different goal, but am I afraid that like, you know, because I live in Massachusetts and I am 40 years old and I'm a mother and I really actually put my daughter to sleep every night that, that people will forget about me. Of course I am, you know, like I'm not out there doing whatever apparently you might need to be doing. I'm, I'm living um, a daily life in this small town in Massachusetts and that's my choice, you know? So of course it's a waveform. Sometimes I'm like, Everyone knows I exist and they're sure to bring me something cool. And sometimes I'm just like, oh, my God, I am the person who is, you know, doing the 11th load of laundry and <laughs> constantly, you know, like reminding people to not leave wet towels on the floor or whatever. And I'm, I'm like just another iteration of all the other women in my family who have ever existed. You know, like it it's everything. It's it's everything.
0: That, that actually reminds me of, uh, before, before this, I was reading a, a profile of you from, I think, 2011 in the Columbia College Today newspaper, oh. uh, where you sort of, you discussed, uh, feeling a little weird about, you saw someone refer to you as Jenny Slate of Marcel Pichel, and this idea of, you know, your work defining you, your name being tied to something, and that being why people, you know, put you in a magazine, why people talk about you. And I'm wondering how that's changed in the last decade, this idea of your your approach to, because it, it kind of, it sounds like that's been an evolution of, of how seeing your work and how it defines you.
1: Oh, that's become pretty normalized for me. Like now I just um, understand that. And mm-hmm. um, I think it's right to think of me as Jenny Slate of Marcel the Shell. I mean, that's sort of the main way that I think of myself as being like front facing into the world. That makes sense to me. But weirdly, like what has been A more interesting challenge is bridging the space between, you know, the me that was in New York and L.A. and then New York again last week and going on the talk shows and doing the Today Show or whatever, like 4 a.m. and like waking up so early and and putting on fancy clothes that I have to give back and, um, you know, all of that and really doing like interviews and interviews and representing my work and then coming back home where you know, one people at the center of one person at the center of my life, my baby has no idea what I was doing, nor is it relevant to her. And um, and so that part is isn't a part of our relationship. And now I'm working on keeping that, you know, that memory of myself as this person who was able to be concise in an interview, hopefully, and, and talk about her creative process and all of that. I want to hold it all at once and I actually think it's very it will end up being important to my daughter that she sees me as a powerful and satisfied person. But I I just like haven't like exactly figured out how to be totally integrated there.
0: That's interesting especially interesting because you're 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 the reason we're here to talk today is the is that you are returning to a character that is from a very different part of your life. That was yeah. that was yeah it's 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 very interesting that you're now embodying that character again so I, I do want to talk a little bit about making that first short film I, I believe you found the voice of Marcel in a very specific scenario uh, you were in a hotel room feeling a bit cramped uh, and that that voice just sort of came out of that environment and it was sort of your way of expressing feeling small and feeling a little a, a little bit smaller than you than you actually are
1: yes that's correct
0: <laughs> how much of that creation process, because it does sound like you know that's creating a character from just a feeling. How much of that informed uh the way you created characters from then on, from the for the rest of your career?
1: I think it's really informed the way that I, you know, wrote my book Little Weirds and I think it it really really um opened something up for me in my own stand up, like just that it's acceptable for me to be joyful and like in love in love with one thing or another while i'm on stage you know my my dad recently said to me like a lot of people don't pair happiness with stand up you know like even and I, I i tend to be very happy on stage like and show my happiness and even to be happy when I'm talking about something that's distressing and that is like actually real for me, like really distressing or was or something that was embarrassing, like to say it with bubbles in a way is something that I learned from being able to be Marcel because like, you know, he does, especially in our film, he's stricken, you know, by separation and grief, but he's not like immobilized by it at all. It's just made him look at other parts of himself he's forced to integrate his circumstances into how he lives but he has a belief system that guides him which is that you know he wants to have a good life and um i feel the same way you know and 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 so he's helped me to show that a lot of my most personal work is showing that and i'm attracted to projects that want to show that as well you know like the the movie obvious child which is one of the first movies i was ever in it shows a woman, you know, a stand-up comedian getting an abortion, but that's also because she wants to have a good life. That's what that's about. It's about how do you do what you need to do and do it specifically and on purpose so that you can self-actualize. And, you know, her story specifically, it's like bifurcated in a way it's, it's the story of her own, just like reproductive decision-making, reproductive freedom, which now, by the way, has been completely, um, contorted and and struck down, um, you know, that that movie wouldn't be made today with the same like casual, you know, our whole thing was like people get abortions every day. They get safe, legal abortions. And mm-hmm. we wouldn't be able to say that the way that we did now. But anyway, th- there's that. But then the other part of it, which ends up being more long standing than than the moment where she gets an abortion. But the, the thing that actually really matters is her on un- learning how to be honest, and her learning how to be relationally connected, and then how she uses that to self actualize as a stand up. That's what she goes through, and that's what we show. And I love playing that character for that reason, for that like beautiful emergence that happens for her at at the end.
0: Is it is it sort of like that that sense of connection? Is is something because I, I that just that pops into my head when I think about specifically the movie Marcel the Shell with Shoes On because it just it it does feel like one of those movies that is is reaching for something uh in everyone it's it's just sort of it's trying to hit uh, a place where where you like we said at the beginning it kind of feels like it's telling you whatever you're feeling that's okay is that a driving force for you in your character creation process because it does it does kind of sound like just that act of, of reaching out is a core part of it.
1: Yeah, I, I love it. I just love how it feels. I love how it feels to reach out in earnest um, and that it doesn't have to be saccharine or sappy. And and in fact, I think the people who sort of understand Marcel is like cute or like, you know, he's like a cute guy or and, and they're they're like annoyed or something by that. I, I think they like don't get it. That that's my, you know, feeling about it. Not that there's like I'm getting that reaction a lot. I actually think most people feel very close to Marcel. But I love how Marcel shows his process for living and what it does, again, much like, you know, this is like sort of like my answer to your question before about like, well, why do you perform if it makes you feel so scared? Mm -hmm. And it's like, the answer is like, if you show one side of something, you call into being, you evoke its other side. So like, if I reach out to you, you are reminded probably in one way or another that you also can reach out. You know, like I can only go halfway that, that I can go as far as I can go, but it, the other length will belongs to you. Or at least that's how I arrange my own output. Like some people, they just kind of lasso, you know, (laughs) but like, I am asking. I'm making a request. A lot of my own self, you know, my created work for me is a request.
0: So, what does that mean for you, literally, phys- physically? When you when you're sort of coming back to the to the voice of Marcel, uh, and you're sitting down with it, and you have you know the the script and the microphones, what how is it that you physically get into the mindset <laughs> that whatever it needs needs to be done to get. To the place where you are, Marcel?
1: Well, first of all, usually we end with a script. Like, and that's what the movie, the process was in the movie is that like we had a treatment, we recorded, then Dean Fleischer Camp, the director, and Nick Paley, our co writer, went through the audio and like started fashioning it into the parts of a script and then writing scenes within what had already been recorded. And then we would like re record. And it was a very layered process of you know, creating a final script. So I think like the first thing that we do is like we create an environment, Dean and I and our producers, where this is all that we're doing. This is all that we're doing. The entire world is Marcel's world. If Marcel is in the kitchen, we're in the kitchen. We really get as close to the truth as possible. And then we just start to sort of record having a conversation and Dean actually interviewing me in character. It's pretty easy for me to slip into Marcel. Like when I try to explain it, I sort of always like mess it up, but, um, you know, if I, have if I, I wrote the treatment with Dean, for example, for our movie. So I knew what that was and I know just enough to know Marcel's personality and in his circumstances. And then, you know, to be able to improvise the start of the conversation, I don't know. It's, that's how we do it. And also I, I need to like stick my finger in my ear because Marcel's voice actually is really quiet and I'm not able to amplify it at all vocally. Like there are a couple of times when he yells, but, but it's, it's a very, very small voice.
0: I have to assume that's not the norm for voice acting. I I feel like that, that might be a different process. Does that affect the way you see Marcel as a character, as opposed to, you know, you're in a studio, you're you, the, all the mics are set up. Does that does that change or affect or inform the way that Marcel exists to you as opposed to any other voice acting characters you've played?
1: I think so, because I think of like Marcel is created in a different world. And so he is different. And I know that, you know, he's not sleek. It's not a sleek set. The Marcel experience is really home age we had sweat bands with microphones taped to the center of them and they went right in the center of our forehead. Cause that's how we figured out we could get like the best sound. And um, you know, so you were like wearing a weird outfit and you're like, not, you're not in a controlled environment. The only reason why the environment is controlled is because all of the people you're with have decided you're all playing the same game. It's completely different than being in like a sleek booth at Disney, which also has its own perks and is very, very fun. I really, really like that too. But, you know, Marcel, the whole thing is that even though he's not really real, everything about him is a piece of realness.
0: I love that. <laughs> I'm sorry. I was just kind of sitting with that because that's really lovely. And it, and it's it's something that you can kind of, it, it does feel like uh, in watching the movie and in hearing you talk about it, it just feels like, I could ask you about the process all day, but it does kind of feel like a natural part of you. <laughs> it almost yeah, feels like the, pro- the process is revealing that.
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure.
0: Do you have a any sort of this? This is just you know general voice acting advice. Do you have a warm up process? Is there anything that you do to prefer uh, before recording, during recording? Is there any, any voice safety tips? I, I have to assume that that Marcel was recorded over many, many, many hours. Uh, is what's that process like for you? Maintaining that.
1: Yeah. It's easy to stay in character, but after a while, like just like doing a day of interviews, like talking in my normal voice, my throat just gets tired. I, I mean, I I do all the stuff that other people do. I drink throat coat tea. Um, you know, I like try not to have like a heavy lunch or a lunch that's like, like dairy centric. I, you know, I go with like, I love like a, like a clear broth, that kind of thing. Um, And also just for my energy levels, like on set, I've always found that having like a big lunch is a real, oh, is really going to slow me down or make me sleepy. Um, But yeah, you know, a lot of lozenges, a ton of water, a lot of like hot water with honey. And um, I try to get a lot of rest. It's not very interesting, but, um, but those are the things that I, that I do.
0: Yeah. I mean, you know, a, a lot of the acting process is that sort of not interesting uh, <laughs> day-to-day things on set, but that's, it's all part of it. It's all part yeah. of it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, before I let you go. Uh, and again, I, I, I can't thank you enough for being here. I did, I did want to ask one last piece of advice because there are probably many, many people who listen to this podcast, specifically the backstage podcast who are, you know, toiling away at their small project, their small personal project, uh, their original Marcel the shell short film uh, so I, I I was wondering as someone who's gone through that as someone who who watched their their short film sort of go viral what is the advice that you would give to those people that would sort of get them to the finish line to get them to, to finish the script to finish the short to finish the their small little personal project
1: I mean I guess I would say that what works best for me is when what I create pleases or Uh, uh, feeds, satisfies an appetite for what I actually like. You know, maybe this sounds cliche, but like there are so many little nuanced ways where you can start to just change the shape of what you're doing because you think it might be more acceptable um, or might have like a better chance. And sometimes like, I don't know, when, when things are large scale, like I don't know if you're making you know a huge studio film and you're the writer of that like maybe you do need to do that because it is you know you're talking about like a thing that is like a global thingy but if it is your small like and by small i mean personal you know like that's what i would not say small but i would say you know you got a tight budget and you have a great wealth of of person in there it sounds so stupid but like satisfy yourself first That's the things about my comedy, about my writing, about Marcel. Those are the things that I love the most is that I'm like, if I were reading a book, I'd want to read a book like mine. If I were making a like if I really could create a character for myself where I would feel so comfortable and I wouldn't be like down on myself for any reason, I would create Marcel, you know, like I. I don't necessarily always feel that great in my physical body. Like sometimes I don't like how I look or whatever, you know. And I'm uncomfortable in my wardrobe. And being Marcel eliminates that. Like I don't really feel like those feelings are worth much for me, except for building personal strength so I can get over them eventually. And I'm not there yet. So what can I do right now to feel good? I create, co-create <laughs> Marcel. And um, same with stand-up. It's like, like what do you like? What do you like? That is the central question. What are you like and what do you like? And feed that with such sweetness. That's what I have done at least. And I'm lucky that it it worked, but, you know, it was all pretty haphazard.
0: I love that. I love it. And yeah, you know, the project might be small to the world, but it should be big to you. Uh, all the projects that you care about are big. Um, yeah. Jenny, thank you so much for doing this. And again, I, I I cannot tell the the listeners enough, Marcel, the show, which she was on. It was a wonderful, cathartic 90-minute experience for me. <laughs> uh, and I very much appreciate it. Thank you so much for being here.
1: Oh, thank you. Thanks for having me. This was really, really fun. And I actually found out a lot about myself while I was talking to you. I don't often get the like chance to just lay stuff out. And it, it's very useful for me, too.
0: That's so- the goal. That's, that's what we want. That's what we want.
1: <laughs> cool. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks. Bye-bye.
0: Thanks, as always, to our brilliant producer, Jamie Muffet, and to the whole team at Backstage, Samantha Sherlock, Mark Stinson, Caitlin Watkins, and of course, Casey Howe. Visit Backstage.com, and don't forget, you can subscribe to Backstage with code ENVELOPE at checkout for a free trial. 100% free, you simply cannot beat that. For more exclusive content, find us on Facebook and Twitter at InTheEnvelope, and subscribe, share, and leave a comment. Who should we interview next? Let us know! Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time for another peek in the envelope.